Good morning and welcome to Entrepreneurial Realities, the podcast of the Venture Lab of the Munich Technical University. My name is Antoine Leboyer and I'm the Managing Director of the Software and AI Tomb Venture Lab. We are joined today by Tomb alumni and IQM Computer CEO and founder, Jan Götz. Jan was a speaker at the Munich Festival des Zukunft, where we met. And more importantly, on this occasion, he announced 100 million plus funding which was led by World Fund and several Munich-based co-investors such as MIG Capital or V-Squared. Jan, welcome to Entrepreneur Realities. Yeah, hello, good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about the discussion. Thank you. Jan, you, you gave a lot of presentation on um, not only what's computing, but who you are. So can I ask you the same questions? What's quantum computing? Who are you? How did you come to the 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 to IQM? Can you explain this to our to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm happy to talk a little bit. Um, as many startup founders in the quantum world, I have an academic background. So um, I have a uh, physics degree, which I got at Technical University of Munich, and then I also did a PhD in the field in Munich at an institute for low temperature physics, uh, WMI, which is also out there in, in Garching. And the topic um, was the physics of high frequency circuits, high frequency electronics at very low temperatures. And actually this is exactly, these chips um, are exactly the chips that we are using now in the quantum computers um, that we are building. Um, however, when I was studying it um, 2000, or when I started my PhD, for example, 2011, um, there was not so much discussion about the commercialization um, of the technology that we have now. Back then it was really studying the fundamentals of, of these chips and the physics that you can simulate with it. Um, and when I finished my PhD in 2016, actually the situation was such that in the US we have seen first startups uh, forming. Um, Rigetti is, is one name maybe to be mentioned there for those of you who, who know. And also a big thing back then was that Google announced that they're going to build a quantum computer. I think this was also around 2015. And um, they what they did back then is they kind of um, took over a university group um, so in the us we have seen first signs of commercialization whereas in europe as usual uh, we were a bit behind so it was all purely academic so i decided to um, continue my um, academic path which brought me to Finland, uh, to Aalto University in, in Helsinki, uh, where I did a postdoc in the same field. So it was still low temperature physics, uh, microwave circuits, the basic constituents of a, of a quantum computer in the group of Professor Mikko Mertinen. And I did this for two years. This is the typical postdoc time um, that you stay in a place. And when the two years were over, I went to Mikko and said, hey, I need to continue elsewhere at, at some point in time. And can we discuss about what is the best uh, thing to do? And actually, what I didn't know um, back then was that Mikko was already planning a spin-out company from his lab. So he had already had these plans. Um, and he had started first discussions with the university already about how this could be done. And actually, he also already asked two other co-founders. So we are four uh, co-founders of the company. He asked our chief operating officer, Yuha, and also our CTO, Kuan, who was back then um, in Sydney working for Microsoft. And so they were the three of them. And what happened was that the university told Miko that he needs to make a decision. Either he can continue his professorship and 
the, run the university group or he can run the, the company, but he cannot do both at the same time. And Miko decided that he didn't want to give up um, all the kind of scientific work that he has done and, and the group. So he was looking for someone else then to start the company with and, and, and for him. And this is when he asked me then basically in these discussions about my future, this came up and um, he asked me whether I could consider um, becoming the CEO of this spin-out company. Um, and then I said, yes, why not? This is a, a great opportunity. Um, and since then we have been running the company, basically the four founders, whereas Miko is still um, a professor, so he is not operational in the company, he is acting as an advisor, but then, uh, of course, Kuan, Yuha, and myself, and we have meanwhile grown the company to more than, um, or no, close to 200 people um, in different locations. Um, so we started, of course, as a spin out in Helsinki, but we are now already close to 50 people, for example, also in Munich, and a few in, in Paris and in uh, Madrid. Yeah, so this is kind of my background. I really come from the science point of view. And then I went into the entrepreneurship and basically I was thrown into the cold water and just learned everything on the fly or tried to learn it at least. Like many of us. And well, you are doing more than, than, than learning. Um, at the festival, there's two groups. You spend time to explain uh, what is quantum computing. And um, I think it's still important. People have heard of the terms, but... I'm not sure that people, that so many people do fully understand what is the technology, but also what it will enable to do. Can you, you, yeah. you give a great presentation? Can you explain this to the listeners? Sure. I mean, a quantum computer or quantum computing, there are two parts in, in this word, quantum and computing. And of course, computing tells you that it, it, it computes something. So in the end, um, what we are doing is we are building a machine that gives an answer to a certain question. And this question usually is programmed by some software. So we have the same situation as in a normal computer. You have a certain software stack, uh, which you use to control the device. And then you have a machine um, that runs the computation. Now, um, there is a second word in it, which is quantum. And quantum is mainly then uh, meaning that the processor that we are using is not a kind of a classical processor that is used as a CPU or so in your laptop or other computer, but it is a processor that works based on quantum phenomena. So quantum physics is a, a field of study already since 1900 or so, so it's not a new thing. Um, it was discussed many, many decades on a theoretical level, and then at some point people started to make experiments to, to test this theory, first in optics, um, also in Munich, I think there are great places like the Max Planck Institute for Quantum Optics or so, uh, with Nobel Prize winners. So these were the first experiments to, to study this theory. And they figured out it's it's a great concept that describes our world on a microscopic level or at very low particle numbers. And uh, this is what we call sometimes um, quantum 1.0 or so, mm -hmm. um, just testing the theory. Actually, what then happened is that people became so good in running these experiments that at some point they were able to not only test whether the theory works, but also to actively control these quantum systems. Um, so they, they could prepare them in certain states, they could manipulate them, and then they could check 
out in the end what 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 is the result of the experiment and this is the basic concept of a of a quantum computer that you are preparing a certain state in a quantum system you make certain manipulations which what what we call gate operations is the same as in a normal process so you have certain gate operations like bit flips and things like this and then in the end you read out you check what was the result so this is kind of the concept of the computer just that it follows then the quantum physics not the classical physics and transistor based computing um, and um, interestingly there are different um, platforms that you can use to implement such a quantum processor um, as said the very early experiments they, these were quantum optics experiments and this is actually a way also to implement a quantum computer you can trap individual atoms or ions and manipulate them with lasers and then check in the end what comes out um, what we do at IQM in our company is a little bit closer actually to how a regular computer works so we are building chips um, based on, on semiconductors. So we are using a silicon wafer to begin with, and we are putting their electronic structures on top of it. And then what we do is we cool them down to very low temperatures. And at these low temperatures, very close to absolute zero, they show these quantum effects. And then we can, with microwaves, so more in the gigahertz frequency range, we can manipulate the circuits and we can read out in the end the outcome. So this is um, how it is. And of course, we need these cooling devices. So it's, it's a big machine, maybe three by three meters or so, but it works. So we can do um, certain algorithms. And now the clue is that actually the power of quantum um, means that for certain algorithms, you can take shortcuts. Um, so this means that the algorithm can be executed in a much shorter amount of time because you have quantum degrees of freedom that you can use, like superposition and entanglement. These are two of the, the concepts, concepts. And the shortcuts, they can actually be really, really large. So it's not only that we maybe speed up by a factor of two or three or something, but it can be what, what we sometimes call exponential. And this means that certain computations that would need thousands of years on a classical computer can maybe done in minutes on a quantum computer. And this is actually the big promise that the quantum computer then can be used in a much more efficient way than a classical computer. What does this mean for people who are developing simulation software? Do they have to rewrite everything or do they basically use the same high level structure and then there are specific compilers, uh, simulators before you can actually run them in production? Yeah, I mean, we are now still in the very early stages of, of quantum computers. So it's not yet so that we have, let's say, the full-blown ecosystem like in the classical uh, computer and, and semiconductor industry. Um, but in the end, of course, we use our um, normal computers to program the quantum computers because we live in a classical world. So we have to kind of interact with normal computers. And this means we are writing some programming code, maybe in Python or C++ or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the the um, quantumness then comes in on the compiler level where actually these quantum algorithms come into play. And there actually it's a lot about intuition, a lot of mathematics to figure out what is where can quantum help us in creating this acceleration? But in the end, there is a compiler. So this needs to be programmed, of course. And then there's all the low level, um, let's say firmware as well. So we use a lot of um, control electronics um, to con control the quantum processor. And we need the firmware um, also to, to program this. So we have the complete stack like a normal computer, um, which is programmed in a sense in the same way, using the same languages, only the logic that we are applying is different. You, you of course, you do the hardware, but how involved are you on these multiple software layers? Yeah. 
that, that's a good question. And um, so as we are building the hardware, what we are developing ourselves in-house is the firmware, which is very close to the hardware because this is kind of hardware specific, only, only we can do it. And then we go a little bit up in the stack. Maybe we, we do sometimes our own compiler, or but then we build adapters to the most commonly used programming frameworks. Um, this could be for those who know, for example, IBM Qiskit or Google Circ or Atos QLM. So these are some of the big ones. And we build adapters. And then people who know how to program quantum computers in these software frameworks, they can just use them to connect um, to our machines. Um, but then having said that, because also you're talking about AI, actually AI and machine learning is, is a quite an interesting concept for quantum because there are two things. Um, there are certain AI algorithms which could be accelerated using a quantum computer. So you just run the AI algorithm much more efficiently. But it's also the other way around that actually machine learning and AI helps running and developing the quantum computer. So one of the challenges that we have, for example, is that these processors that we have, they are very unstable. So the parameters, they fluctuate over time. So we need to have some kind of engine in the background, which is checking all the time the status of the processor and then correcting it in real time. And there's a lot of machine learning, for example, being used in actually keeping the, the quantum computer operational. So there are many software pieces um, that were also with a very um, solid, let's say, standard software education, actually, uh, people can be very helpful in developing the quantum computers. You give examples in, uh, in Munich about typical type of application that quantum computing could enable. Can you mention some of these? Yes, sure. Um, so uh, quantum computing for a long time actually was a purely theoretical uh, field because no one was able to build machines to, to test it. And the first um, real application that came up was uh, in, in, in 1994, an algorithm um, to factorize large numbers. Um, which may sound very mathematical, but it actually it has a big relevance um, for encryption because the current encryption schemes that we are using, many of them are based on a so-called RSA method. And this is based on the asymmetry in, in, in factorizing um, large numbers, then that multiplying is easy, but factorizing is hard. So what Peter Shaw found out is that actually with a quantum computer, you, you get this speed up and maybe you can factorize a very a long bit string in, uh, let's say, a few seconds. Um, so this was the first one. And, and of course, this created a lot of intention because it's highly relevant for all kinds of security applications and other things. And this triggered a lot of funding going into the field. But meanwhile, there are all, all, all sorts of other um, algorithms as well, um, maybe just to, to name two, which are often uh, mentioned. One is in the field of chemistry simulation. So this is another big field uh, with, with big potential for quantum, where you can simulate the ground state of molecules, which then might help you in material research or in drug development and, and other fields um, like this. And another one is generally the field of optimization. Um, and of course, there are optimization problems everywhere, like traffic optimization portfolio optimization. Um, so these are kind of algorithms that we know. And of course, there is a whole community of algorithm and application startups and developers and, and companies which are just focusing on this, on developing, identifying, uh, creating new algorithms. So I think there will be much more in the future. Okay. You mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of big name companies like Google or IBM and, and Microsoft 
how does uh, a European company uh, compete with uh, with with these talents, uh, both in terms of market access, uh, raising capital? Um, what what uh, is it? Uh, you know, is it is quantum probably an ability for European players to have a worldwide position? Yeah, I mean that's an, an excellent question, and I'm spending uh, quite some time um, also getting engaged um, in this. For example, I'm a, a board member of the European Innovation Council, uh, which reports to the Commissioner for for Innovation, where we're discussing exactly these questions, not only for quantum but for all relevant technologies like AI, space, robotics, uh, you name it. Um, and um, one kind of how I ended up there and, and how we got there. This is maybe also just to tell a little story. Is when we got started in 2019 summer 2019 when we got the first funding round uh, this was exactly the same time when Finland uh, where we started took over the EU presidency um, which is this rotating uh, thing between the member states and what then happens is that actually um, in this case Finland they are organizing many of the events in Brussels but also many events are actually uh, European events are taking place in, in, in Helsinki in this case. Um, and then this always gives them also the opportunity to showcase the newest and maybe uh, promising startups. So I was actually getting quite a lot of exposure on the European level because of this coincidence. This was not planned at all. Um, and this brought me into some circles where we were discussing a strategy for Europe in terms of quantum computing. And the situation is exactly as you describe. In Europe, we have very little, if at all, established players who uh, develop quantum um, technologies. And um, this means that we have actually two choices. Either we um, completely rely on allies and partners, um, or we say, okay, we do it ourselves, but then um, it's basically academics and startups mm -hmm. who have to um, develop the technology. Um, and what we kind of developed was a strategy where we say, okay, if we want to enable startups to be able to compete with the big names um, out there, not in the US, maybe also in China and elsewhere, we need to make sure that these startups grow to a critical mass, that they're not just like a small player here and there, which some people forget about at some point, but they really grow. And growing in the startup world usually means also revenue growth, not only team size. Of course, team is very important, especially in, in innovation, but also revenue. And we came up with this model which kind of is borrowed from the, the SpaceX um, story where SpaceX got most of the first contracts were from NASA, so a government organization. And this is exactly what we then said, okay, this needs to happen in quantum as well. If these European startups should grow, someone needs to buy their computers um, and there are governmental owned um, computing centers who usually buy computers. Um, and this is what we have been developing. And for example, we sold one here in Finland, another one in Munich to the supercomputing center there, Leibniz Rechenzentrum, and I think there are more to come. Um, so I think in this sense, we do have a chance in Europe because we have the talent, that's for sure, and this is what you hear all the time. We have great universities, we have great people, people want to work in Europe because of the values and the culture and all of this. And I think meanwhile, we have also a mindset um, where people have realized that we need to grow the most promising startups. We need to bet on a few most promising players, and then we need to install the instruments so that this can happen. So I'm actually quite um, optimistic uh, at the moment that, that this can happen, not only in, in quantum, there are now a few other fields where this is um, changing, and there are good initiatives. I think the big next one, for example, also for us, is the European Chips Act, uh, which is a huge 
thing um, to bring more chips technology back to Europe, which has a dedicated um, amount uh, of funding also for European startups and hardware development in, in Europe. So I think we do have this chance. Of course, we have to play it right and we have to kind of collaborate then also within Europe. Um, and I mean, this was clear for us from the beginning that IQM, if we want to be a global player, it cannot be just the local Finnish story. It has to become a European story. And this is one of the reasons also why we started expanding so early, opened the Munich office, then the Paris and Madrid office. And we really want to make it kind of European company, maybe looking a little bit at how it went at some point with Airbus, which has also a similar structure, taking the strengths from, from all the different locations. Have you opened offices in the US or in Asia? Not yet. Um, we are evaluating this. Um, I mean, quantum is also a very strategic technology. Um, and there's always the question um, where uh, where certain technology can be exported to and, and how to develop it. Um, we are uh, seeing actually a lot of interest from Asia, places like Singapore and, and others um, in the technology. We are now also seeing first interest from US computing centers. Um, where we are in discussions. And the question will be, are they actually willing to buy non-US technology in this very strategic field? Um, and we are considering actually expanding to uh, to such locations if it makes sense for us from a business perspective. Yeah. You've said that you've got 200 people in multiple locations. Uh, what are the talents that you've been bringing? How does this break down? Yeah, I mean, we are still a very technical science-driven organization. So more than 75% of our employees have a technical background and many of them actually have a PhD. I think we are approaching 100 PhDs. We have several, let's say, professor level uh, people and in Germany, you call this habilitation, right? Who are really senior um, scientists. Um, so mainly we are hiring these technical people which have often a background in physics, quantum physics, but of course also um, in electrical engineering for the high high frequency electronics that we are building. And then of course, software development. As I said, we are building the, the lower stacks of the, the software ourselves and we have a, a substantial um, software effort as well. But of course now running a 200 people company means that we need to have the full-fledged organization. So we have all the support functions um, in place as well. Um, operations, office management, we have labs and clean rooms, so facility management. Um, we of course have a finance function, legal people, and then um, a certain business and, and sales organization as well. So meanwhile, we're hiring, let's say, the, the complete spectrum. Um, I know that uh, large companies used to talk about the number of MIPS being sold, a number of core. Can you give a sense for um, you know what is the current capacity you have and what should be the market in the next uh, years to come for quantum computing as a whole and for and what you foresee for IQM? Yeah, I mean the um, for quantum as it's still a very early field, there is no commonly adopted benchmark yet. Um, certain companies are trying to push certain benchmarks. But then, as I said in the beginning, there are also still different platforms, technology platforms, and it's very hard to compare them against each other. <laughs> it's often so that then certain platforms take the benchmark of the other platform and say, hey, look, if you take your benchmark, we are a thousand times better, but it's a little bit unfair um, comparison. Uh, but there are certain experiments that have been uh, executed on superconducting circuits, also with photonics and other platforms where um, they have outperformed classical computers in, in a given mathematical task, um, which is a very impressive result, of course. 
But um, these mathematical tasks, they were more or less random. So there was no use case behind it. So this is the big next step to bring then usefulness into these algorithms. Um, what we are doing, we are kind of um, selling our product roadmap. So similar to semiconductor industry, um, we have a um, product roadmap, which is basically the different processor generations that we have. Um, so every, let's say, 18 months or so, we have a new processor um, release, and then we are we, we can sell the new processor generation. Um, and uh, why are actually these computing centers that I mentioned earlier, why are they interested in buying our systems if they cannot yet outperform a, a classical computer? There are a few reasons. Um, one is that, um, of course, still they can do great science with them. And as they are mainly scientific computing centers, scientific publications is a very important benchmark um, for them. This is point A. The other one is kind of having the technology available and being an early adopter so that they are ready once it really flies. So they want to get early into the technology to find out what does it mean to run and operate a, a quantum computer. And then finally, also the education aspects. As usually, these scientific computing centers are affiliated with a university. They need to also do this education um, and plus then the complete strategic angles. So um, this is why um, we are going to sell basically our systems with increasing um, processor sizes over the next couple of years. This is kind of our main goal. Very good. Let me ask you my usual, the usual last question in the podcast. Do you have any advice for our listeners, which are, you know, mostly students looking at uh, entrepreneurial projects? Yeah. I mean, it's, it might, might sound a little bit, let's say, stupid, but my advice is take advice um so i think um especially among physicists but generally probably among science scientists there's often this kind of thinking that we are so smart we know everything ourselves um, and then if you start a company and you have this mindset and you think you can do everything yourself maybe you can maybe it takes a little bit longer than for someone else but at some point it means you kind of get completely overloaded with all the different tasks um, and you need to be able to give away and you need to be able to take advice in what to give away and and, and, and how to do things right and i think this is very important uh, for people who consider uh, starting a company or maybe in the early phases really try to find some mentors for the fields where you are not which have your core competence. So probably if you're a technical person, maybe you don't have a core competence in, in legal and marketing. Uh, maybe also what I had to learn, it's, it's super important, this whole topic of value and cultures inside a company and, and how to live this and develop this. So find good people who can give you advice, whom you trust in these fields, which are not your core strength. And then you can focus on what you, you're good at and you can still build up and, and scale a great company. Yeah, and thank you very much. Entrepreneurial Reality is available on major podcast platforms where you can find other inspiring presentations. Do subscribe if you like this podcast and want to hear more. Do give us a rating. Let your friend know about it. And we look forward to having you for more Entrepreneurial Realities.